Today is the day the Democratic Party finally dies. You see, it's Super Tuesday, possibly the most important day in the Democratic nomination process when many states are going to vote on who they think should be the Democratic nominee. And here's the great news. Pete Buttigieg, Klobuchar, they dropped out and they endorsed Joe Biden. That's right. Sleepy, creepy Joe was the best the Democrats have to offer. Now, I'm not just going to rag on Joe Biden here. I got to talk about all of the candidates. We got Bernie Sanders, a 78 year old socialist who just had a heart attack. You've got Michael Bloomberg, who basically bought his way into this race. And now I'm going to say something rather silly. The youngest man running to be president of the United States is 73 year old Donald Trump. Now, I think Donald Trump is old, but I get it. He's running as the incumbent. He's still the oldest president to ever be elected. But let's let's keep our focus to the Democratic Party, because is this it? This is what they have to offer. The young, the, the younger candidates, I, I say younger, I mean, Buttigieg was in his 30s, Klobuchar, I don't know how old she is. But now we have a bunch of 70 year olds who will enter, will be running for reelection in their 80s. That to me is shocking. But if you take a look at Joe Biden, you see a lack of ability, a lack of leadership, an inability to speak properly. He doesn't know where he is. That's what they're rallying behind. There is no party left. There is no unity because on the other side, you have Bernie Sanders. Now, Bernie Sanders has also flip-flopped, even though many people try to pretend like he's somehow been consistent, maybe on some issues, but on immigration, the Second Amendment, and even contested conventions. Why, lo and behold, Bernie Sanders has not been consistent. Now, you can claim he evolved on the issues, fine, but that's what they say about literally every politician. You can call him a flip-flopper or say they evolved, but the point is, Bernie Sanders has changed his positions. But more importantly, he's a socialist. He probably won't win. If you were to ask me, people in America aren't going to vote for a socialist. And many people feel that his supporters, the woke identitarian far left, have pushed them out of the Democratic Party. I certainly feel that way. I know many people who have. In fact, polls from Gallup show that people as of 20, at the end of 2019 and 2020 are, are more likely to say they're Republican, less likely to say they are Democrats. Why? There is no party leadership. There's none. There's an insurgent base of left-wing populists and socialists trying to push their way in who hold, for the most part, fringe identitarian views that regular people don't want to be associated with. And then you have the crony establishment literally propping up a guy who does not have the ability to be a leader because the dude can't even talk straight. Don't get me started on Bloomberg. That guy shouldn't even be there. He bought his way into the party. So there is no party. Bloomberg, a former Republican, turned independent, now Democrat, doesn't even know what his political alignment is. And he's worse than Trump. This is who the Democrats have been rallying behind. Because we can see from polls as we enter Super Tuesday, it extends to the Democratic voters. I normally don't like to drag the people, but I got to do it. And I'm going to walk you through all of this. But the point is, even the polls show us that people aren't voting based on principle. They're not voting for what the Democratic Party stands for. They're just voting because they don't like Trump. And that was the plan the whole time. And it's why they're propping up Joe Biden. They don't care. They don't think they'll win. As long as they oppose Trump, that's all they care about. And they will lose because of it. But so let's get started. Let's take a look at this first story. Super Tuesday miracle. Everything is suddenly going right for Biden after near collapse of his campaign. I I can't stress this enough. Biden was in free fall in the polls, in the prediction models. And then all of a sudden, the establishment rallied behind him, a guy who clearly couldn't win on his own. A man who could not win on his own. 
then gets the support of the other candidates who drop out abruptly to endorse him. You think he's going to make it? No, it's establishment support carrying him. But before we before we dive into this, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical ad. But the best thing you can do is share this video. You see, I'm hoping that by sharing it, we could break some echo chambers. But unfortunately, I don't think we will. However, sharing does still help out my, my channel. YouTube right now is suppressing channels like mine. So I will also add, if you haven't subscribed and you do like my content, hit the subscribe button, click the notification bell, because it's supposed to then tell you when I put up videos. But in fact, YouTube still doesn't do it. But it is better than nothing. So again, if you like the, like, if you like the content, there's what you can do. Let's read just a little bit because I really want to move forward with what the Democratic establishment is doing, not just to prop up a man who clearly can't win, but to stop Bernie Sanders. And don't forget, I've got some, I've got, I've got some uh, uh, criticisms coming Bernie's way. They say the comeback kid, Joe Biden may or may not have pulled off a Bill Clinton style recovery for his primary campaign, but at least for now, the political stars are aligning for the Democratic presidential candidate who was all but counted out after failing to win any of the first three contests. Now, after dominating the South Carolina primary and seeing his rivals bow out to endorse him, Joe Biden is ready to position himself as the moderate alternative to Democratic Socialist Bernie Sanders as Super Tuesday arrives. I am very much alive, he told supporters. Now, I don't know if he meant that figuratively or literally, but he probably needed to remind them of both, if you get the joke. Perhaps the clean bill of health for his campaign was worth stating. The former vice president was the front runner in the Democratic presidential primary for months before he and his gaff prone campaign steadily slid down in the polls, being overshadowed by several candidates with better funding, more polish and more apparent grassroots excitement. But let me stop. There's a reason why I'm highlighting the story. It's to show you that one, Joe Biden is only being propped up by the establishment with the resignations of Pete Buttigieg and Amy Klobuchar. Now, Joe Biden is spiking in the polls. Take a look at this. Real clear politics shows that Joe Biden is on the rebound and Bernie Sanders is falling. Now, here's the question I have. Why would Bernie Sanders go down in the polls simply because Joe Biden is going up in the polls? It doesn't make sense. You can say Joe Biden went up when the establishment candidates bowed out of the race and endorsed him. Their supporters now go for Joe Biden. But why would they leave Bernie Sanders? Ah, I can tell you exactly why. You see, Joe Biden was the front runner for a long time, and I have no idea why. And then he fell off in the polls. This is where I can show you the Democratic Party, that the problems and the fracture and the death of the party extends to the Democratic base. There is no principle unity. The, the Democratic Party isn't walking around saying we stand for this and we will vote for it. They're walking around saying we don't like Trump and that's it. So when Joe Biden didn't win the first couple of primaries, what happened? People said they weren't going to vote for him, not because they liked or disliked his policy. To every progressive who said Bernie Sanders can win by uniting progressives. No, he can't. The only thing people care about right now in the polls is whether or not they think they'll win. That's it. You can come out and say, I want to do X, Y, and Z. And they'll say, I don't care. Can you beat Trump? That's it. So now Joe Biden tanks, Bernie Sanders spikes, and then Joe Biden wins South Carolina, which is just more bad news for Democrats. He wins in North Carolina. I'm sorry, South Carolina. And now all of a sudden people don't want to vote for Bernie anymore. I thought there was a new progressive coalition lining up for Bernie. Oh, wait, it's just not the case. Today marks the day that a lot of things are going to happen. We're going to see later today if voter turnout is high and it likely, and in my opinion, it won't be, but I could be wrong. By the time you're watching this, maybe you already know. 
we're also going to see who is set to become the real front runner and aim to win at this upcoming convention. But there's just so much bad news. 538's prediction model clearly has no idea what's going on and shows the same trends we saw in the polls. Bernie spikes, then Bernie drops. And I kid you not, as of right now, they say that Joe Biden has a 31% chance of being the nominee. However, there is a 61% chance no one wins and it goes to a contested convention. Which brings me to the next bit of flack. Moving on to Mr. Bernie Sanders. Now, I want to be fair first. Rolling Stone has just run this story. Operation Bernie Block is in full effect. Confused about the flurry of news in the presidential race? Here's what it all means. Well, I'm not going to dive into this. I'm just going to highlight the machine rallying behind Joe Biden is absolutely intended to stop Bernie Sanders. And Joe Biden has nothing in terms of leadership abilities. He can't be the president. Look at the guy. He doesn't even know where he is. So they're choosing him just to make sure Bernie doesn't win. They would burn down their own party. And the New York Times even wrote this story, interviewing several party members, superdelegates, politicians. They all said the same thing. They will stop at nothing to prevent Bernie Sanders from taking over their party. Dare I say it, the party is collapsing. They are propping up a man they know can't win because they don't like Bernie Sanders. They're facing an insurgent campaign and they refuse to back down. But all this means to me is that the party has no unifying principles. They're fractured six ways from Sunday. There is no party. It's over. No matter who wins today, the party is done. The youngest people have bowed out. You got a bunch of old guys nobody wants. And that's all they have to offer. Now, I will point to Michael Bloomberg first in my criticism of Bernie Sanders. And and trust me, this makes sense. Michael Bloomberg said he can't win without a contested convention. This is from BuzzFeed News. And surprise, surprise, Michael Bloomberg brings up a couple good points. First, I believe he is correct when he says he can't win without a brokered convention because he actually skipped some states and he bought his way in in the first place. So let me stop for right now. Let, well, let, let me show you uh, where Bloomberg's at in the polls. He's actually around 16.2%. He's doing pretty well, better than he's done so far. This is a guy who bought his way in, which means you've got a bit of the Democratic Party saying establishment candidate, we don't care as long as he wins. You've got another group saying progressive candidate, we don't care so long as he wins. And then you've got another group saying, give it to the guy who's like Trump, but worse. What what unifying principles does this party have at all? You got a guy actively saying he needs a convention to win. And here's what we get. Asked what states he expects to win Tuesday. Bloomberg said, I don't know whether you're going to win any. You don't have to win states. You have to win delegates. Excuse me? When a reporter asked him if he wants the primary to go into a contested convention, he said, I don't think that I can win any other ways. And there it is. He's not looking to play. Well, I guess technically he's looking to play to the rules, but not to actually win support. Here's the best part, though, which brings me to my Bernie criticism. A contested convention is a democratic process. There are rules in the Democratic Party about how you go about this. And I did see Bernie Sanders said all of a sudden he didn't want to follow the rules. I find it offensive that Bernie Sanders, who the last time he ran, was in favor of that kind of convention. And now he's opposed to it. Whoa. Wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wait a minute, Mr. Bloomberg. You mean to tell me that in 2016, Bernie Sanders wanted a contested convention, but now he's saying it should just go to whoever gets the most delegates? Certainly that can't. Oh, that is true. But there's some caveats here. 
Sanders campaign planning for contested convention, April 5th, 2016. Well, hold your horses there, mister. You mean to tell me that we got a bunch of hypocrites who can't lead running for the Democratic Party? Yes, the party is done. It's dead. It's today. When the last remaining moderates who are supposed to be holding things together bowed out to endorse a guy who can never lead this country properly, they showed us that they are now the B team. Joe Biden is the B team. He was the B team in 2008, and he is today. Now, Bernie Sanders is the A team of the socialists, but he's not what America really wants. And the polls, in my opinion, prove it, which means the Democratic Party doesn't have anything. It is a chicken running around with its head cut off. But let me throw some shade your way, Mr. Sanders. Bernie Sanders will surpass Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton in pledge delegates and emerge as the nominee at a contested convention, his campaign said Tuesday. Well, hold on. I'll be fair. Back when this story came out, he was expecting to have the most pledged delegates. And if that was the case, well, then it, it sort of stands by what he, what he said, you know, uh, just at the, at the last debate that whoever gets the most delegates should win. OK, so you're probably saying now, Tim, I don't understand. Well, hold on, because it was just about a month later. Bernie Sanders vows a contested convention despite tough road ahead. The underdog presidential candidate in the Democratic primary admitted uphill climb to nomination, but promised to shape the party's future. Why? In this story, we can see Bernie Sanders said it is virtually impossible for Hillary Clinton to reach a majority of convention delegates by June 14th, which is the last day a primary will be held with pledge delegates alone. She will need superdelegates to take her over the top at the convention in Philadelphia. In other words, the contention will be a contested contest. So what was Bernie Sanders saying then as they approached the DNC? Hillary Clinton will probably have the most. She's not going to have enough. Therefore, contested convention all the way. What did Bernie Sanders just say, you know, the other day at the debate? The Democrat with the most delegates should win. And of course, Bernie Sanders supporters came out of the woodwork to claim he was the only candidate saying the popular vote should win while the rest of them wanted a contested convention. I find it just silly. You see, Bernie Sanders campaign staff came out and said a bunch of nasty things, and he didn't say anything about it. Only when the establishment comes after him, I suppose. But hold on a minute. Bernie Sanders was the underdog in 2016, and he wanted a contested convention. So now what changed? Oh, now he's projected to win. Well, he was projected to win at the time. They thought he'd get the most delegates. Let's see how fast he spins around as soon as Joe Biden starts taking the lead. I don't know if he will, because the most generous you know, uh, prediction models have Joe Biden trailing Bernie Sanders to a certain degree. But the 538 prediction model shows Ber- uh, that Joe Biden is actually in a better position to win than Bernie Sanders. Let me show you something, though. And I want to be fair. I will be fair to Bernie Sanders. I don't play these games. I'm not here to do politics. In the 2016 Democratic Party presidential primary, Hillary Clinton had 2,271 delegates to Bernie Sanders, 1,820. Hillary Clinton had the popular vote and she had the delegate count. Bernie should have just walked away and said, okay. And guess what? Bernie did. So I can respect that. Not that he endorsed Hillary. No, I don't respect that at all. I think he's a hypocrite for doing so after ragging on her for so long. But he then said, you know what? Fine. I'm not going to contest it. Whatever. It didn't matter anyway. The delegates got the superdelegates came in. But here's the thing. Bernie can look at this. The Bernie supporters are going to look at this and say, see, Bernie endorsed Hillary once she had the lead. No, 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 no. They changed the rules. Bernie and his and his and his activists got the rules changed because if it wasn't for superdelegates, it would have been a contested convention, just like Bernie Sanders wanted. Hypocrisy. 
I do not trust any of these people. And if you want to come at me and say, Bernie Sanders has simply evolved on the issues, fine. So has everybody else. I don't care. Over on the Sanders for president subreddit, one of the top posts was ragging on Joe Biden's position on gay marriage. But what about Bernie Sanders flip-flopping? Of course, they then try and qualify saying, I'm not saying his position didn't change. No, I get it. It's politics. They all do it. When the superdelegates put Hillary Clinton over the top, Bernie and his people came together, his activists, to say no more superdelegates. They changed the rules. So now the superdelegates only vote in the second round. Now that the, cont- the, the contested convention threatens Bernie, he's saying, no, no, only the popular vote should win. I get it. Now, they wanted to get rid of superdelegates altogether. Fine, Bernie would have won in that case. But they were so happy for a contested convention, but they realized they wouldn't win no matter what. So they changed the rules, and now they don't want the contested convention. Spare me. The party is done. There is no integrity. There is no honor. And I'm not interested in playing your games. You think I'm making this up? Let me show you something. From the nation, a contested convention is exactly what the Democratic Party needs. May 3rd, 2016, just two days after that Guardian article. Bernie Sanders will go to Philadelphia with more pledge delegates than any insurgent in modern history. Here's what he could do with them. But not the popular vote. Yet his fans were still saying contested convention. What did everyone say when Bernie went up on the debate stage and said, nope, delegates should win. They all clapped and cheered. That's right, Bernie. Only those who get the popular vote should win. That's not what they were saying in 2016. The party is dead. Hypocrites all abound. Because guess what happened yesterday? I love it. From the nation again. A brokered convention would be an ugly act of self-sabotage. Are establishment Democrats really willing to destroy the party on live television? (laughs) It's so funny. When Bernie Sanders was trailing, they said, bring on the convention. And now that he's actually doing better, they say, no, no, wait, wait, that would be self-sabotage. You know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm so over the sheer and utter hypocrisy. But We wouldn't have hypocrisy without some backfiring from what the far left has called for. And I know it's not necessarily about the Democrats, but I want to entertain you all with a little bonus segment about how this is all backfiring on the Democrats. But first, I want to make sure I just really drive home. Bernie Sanders is not the most consistent or he's not perfectly consistent. I think it's fair to say everybody changes their opinions. But what I've seen from Bernie and his camp about the brokered convention his position on gun control and his position on immigration shows he's just saying what he needs to say to win. You know why people think he's consistent? Because a broken clock is right is right twice a day. So Bernie Sanders held a bunch of positions in the early 90s and the 80s that he still holds today that have now magically just aligned with where the left is at. Bernie's a progressive. He fought for civil rights. I respect it. But it wasn't that these are the right position. You know, it's, it's not that Bernie's consistent. It's that these were his views And the party now aligned more so with him. So what did Bernie say? I will change my other opinions to better line up with my opportunity. Let me tell you about the millionaires and the billionaires. Yeah, Bernie used to rag on the millionaires and the billionaires up until he became a millionaire. Now it's the billionaire class. Oh, please, dude. Like a guy with $999 million can't interfere. No, Bernie stopped saying millionaire because he is one because he is not consistent. He is just saying what he needs to say to win can't say the word millionaire anymore because he's a millionaire. Yeah, you still can, Bernie. That's what bothers me. That's the proof as far as I'm concerned. Just because Bernie made a million bucks doesn't mean he should stop saying millionaires, but he did. And someone actually tracked when he stopped and it was right around the time he became a millionaire. That says to me, what do you think happens if Bernie would become a billionaire? No, no, no. It's not the billionaires. It's not the, it's it's the uh, the trillionaires. No, what has he got left? The likely he becomes a billionaire is slim to none. 
You can absolutely be wealthy and call out the wealthy. You can absolutely be super rich and say, I think we should have some reforms in this country. Why would Bernie drop the millionaire? Oh, it's because like his position on immigration, gun control and the brokered convention, he will just say what he needs to say like everybody else. But now let me bring you to those that supported Bernie Sanders, the resistance types who couldn't defend free speech, even though the politician they loved depended upon it. See, the resistance types want censorship on social media, but so did the Bernie Sanders people up until the media came for them. Let me show you something truly, truly hilarious. This is a tweet from Jen Dees. Could be pronouncing her name wrong. Twitter has limited Jordan Cheriton's account for reporting Joe Biden's own words. Because Joe Biden said Super Thursday. He really did say Super Thursday. He quickly corrected himself. But Jordan tweeted out that Joe Biden did, saying Titanic meet iceberg. You know, Beto, Pete, Amy, all falling in line behind Biden while Biden tells voters to go vote on Super Thursday, Titanic meet iceberg. So they suspended his account. You can't tweet. Guess what? It was your side advocating for this. It was the leftists. It's, it's why people like me and maybe Dave Rubin, Ariel Scarcella decided we didn't want to be involved in what the left was anymore. I think my, I think my policies are still very much left, but I've, I've never done this like great, like I'm leaving the left thing. I think it's apparent I'm, I'm in the same position as like Dave Rubin or Ariel is calling them out because they refuse to defend free speech. Well, guess what? The establishment to protect Joe Biden has just come for you. And if you started yelling the same time we were yelling, maybe it wouldn't have happened because the majority would have told them to stop. But it was Bernie's woke activists who were calling for this. And now the people criticizing Joe Biden can reap the rewards. There's another threat I'm not going to dive into, but it's some progressive who's angry that Politico got fact checked and it was false. Why? Guess what? When you demanded that Facebook start hiring fact checkers, some of those people will be conservatives and some of those people will actually fact check you. And now they're upset about it. I love it. You reap what you have sown. Look what you have wrought. I'm going to end with one final point to wrap up this whole segment about what's really going on and why the Democratic Party has truly died today. Beto, Pete, Amy, rally behind Joe Biden. Here's a story from The Spectator. Joe Biden isn't gaff prone. He's losing his mind. How many times has Joe Biden said something nonsensical? How many times has he said something so absurd or looked in the wrong direction? In one instance, he was walking away from the audience speaking to a wall. I'm not exaggerating. He recently said, instead of, instead of God, he said the, you know, you, he said, go, you know, you know what we're talking about. He didn't know how to say the word God. He lost. He didn't remember the declaration of independence. Yep. That's Joe Biden. And it's the best the Democrats have to offer. Listen, man, I vaguely remember John Kerry and he was tepid and boring and he lost. But Joe Biden is tepid, boring, but also partially insane. If this is the leadership of the Democratic Party, dare I say it, they've become no better than any fringe third party we've seen before, except now they've got a bunch of insurgents fighting over the brand value. There's none left. There's nothing. What do you have to offer? Nothing. But a man who can't speak straight, a 78 year old socialist who just had a heart attack and a billionaire who used to be a Republican who bought his way in. Congratulations. You've earned it. I'll see you all at 6 p.m. in the next segment. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. Thanks for hanging out. The civil war on the left is raging and Chris Matthews is officially out. Now, the best I can do in terms of definitive statements is that Chris Matthews has resigned or I'm sorry, retire. I'm doing air quotes for those that are listening. I think the dude got fired. 
And I think the dude got fired mostly because he dared challenge Bernie Sanders. If you go on Reddit, for instance, you'll find that in their political humor subreddit and in politics, which dominate the front page, everything is pro Sanders. And it's really weird, but I guess it makes sense. There's a lot of young people that just want to fit in, so they'll repeat whatever they hear. But Chris Matthews said some really dumb things about Bernie Sanders after Bernie won in Nevada, likening it to the invasion of France in 1940. And that was stupid, but that's why he got fired. Now, now, now I'll be honest. The reason they're saying he's out is because he harassed a woman a year or two years ago because he said something like, quote, why haven't I fallen in love with you yet? And she got really angry and she wrote about it, but she didn't name him until after the Bernie Sanders thing. I'll tell you what I think is going on. The insurgent far left progressives, I think many of them don't actually care for Bernie. I gotta be completely honest. I think they they like what he represents, socialism entering mainstream politics. So they will prop that up no matter what, even though Bernie is kind of weak. But when Bernie got challenged, all of a sudden now harassment claims resurface. Sorry, man, they were trying to fire this guy for, 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 you know, after the Bernie thing, even going as so far as to claim that he was condescending to Elizabeth Warren. But you know what, Chris Matthews, you deserve it. You do. See, a, a lot of people that used to be in that camp, right, on the left or whatever you want to call it, saw the insurgency coming from the woke identitarians, the authoritarians, the communist socialists, whatever you want to call them. And I'm not saying literally everyone is. I'm saying those people are there and they're wreaking havoc. And we just kind of like said, I'm out. I'll walk away. Now, I've never actually formally said anything like that. I know a lot of people have. You have like Dave Rubin. I recently interviewed Ariel Scarcella. She said, I'm leaving the left. I've never really said that because I think, you know, my my politics don't change simply because a bunch of lunatics are screeching. My politics on freedom of speech, freedom, liberty, etc., have always remained the same. And I've always been, I mean, when I was younger, I was pretty far left. And now as I got older, I'm just kind of moderately center left or so. So I'm not going to abandon my personal view on a lot of politics, though I do think I've been, you know, better informed now that I've, I've had an opportunity to talk with people I've not talked to in the past, particularly on issues like Second Amendment and things like that. But I'll tell you what. Chris Matthews is one of these people desperately clinging on by, this, by his fingertips to the cliff as the woke far left is crushing his fingers beneath their feet. And it's probably because he had the job, but there are so many people who enable this, of, of which one was Chris Matthews. Because at any point, he could have come out and said, these people are going too far, they're going crazy. And instead he hangs on, he plays, he plays ball, and they'll come for Rachel Maddow too. They'll come for Chris Hayes. These are the old guard of the establishment left. The only thing that Rachel Maddow has going for is that all she does is screech about Trump and they don't like Trump either, but that's not going to be good enough at some point. Let's read the story and I want to show you the timeline of the hypocrisy in the firing of Chris Matthews. But you know what? As we know, they eat their own. So be it. Chris Matthews could have said something a long time ago. New York Times reports that Chris Matthews, the veteran political anchor and voluble host of the long running MSNBC talk show Hardball, resigned on Monday night. Let's do air quotes for that resigned. An abrupt departure from a television perch that made him a fixture of politics and the news media over the past quarter century. Matthews, 74, had faced mounting criticism in recent days over a spate of embarrassing on-air moments, including a comparison of Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign to the invasion of France and an interview with Senator Elizabeth Warren in which the anchor was criticized for a condescending and disbelieving tone. That's right, because Warren was talking, I think she was talking about Michael Bloomberg and the accusations against him. And Matthews, 
taking a rational approach saying, well, how do you know for sure? Too bad. And you know what? You know, what's funny. I think the reason why Matthews is probably saying I don't believe it is because he has been accused of harassment in the past for complimenting women. Man, I'll tell you what. Let me give you an example of what's wrong with why this is a reason to out Chris Matthews. The, 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 the idea of equality in the workplace doesn't make sense, and it's going to get really, really bad for one simple reason. A man can compliment a man with no, reco- with no problem. A man can't compliment a woman because there will be a problem. So I'll give you a real example. I love this example, by the way. If I, if I was in an office and a guy walked in with a brand new, you know, tailored suit, and I went, woo, look at this guy. Look at that suit. Damn, brother. Well, how much did that thing cost? You're looking sharp. They, nobody would care. If I walked up to a guy and I patted him on the shoulder or I, I, shook, I was shaking his hand and I went in for you know, an elbow grab, these are all common things you see in business. Some of you might think it's weird and creepy. Sure, fine, whatever. But they're, they're common social dynamic, uh, uh, like grabbing someone's shoulder or forearm during a handshake is a, is, a, is a business technique. So imagine if you did it to a woman. She walks in with a new tailored suit. You went, ooh, damn, girl, looking good. Where'd you get that suit? That thing's expensive. They'd be like, oh, how dare you? You can't compliment a woman that way. So perhaps the real reality is that you also can't compliment dudes in the exact same way. Now, what happens if you're shaking a woman's hand and you wait for an arm grab? No dice. What if you pat her on the back? Whoa, you better not. You see, there are different expectations for how men and women should, should behave towards each other. And because of this, and I'm not, I'm not trying to excuse Chris Matthews' behavior because I don't know. You can see these dynamics struggle in the workplace. Chris Matthews may have complimented many dudes too, saying like, man, look at this guy's suit. He's looking sharp, looking good, man. You've been going to the gym, Bob? You lose some weight? I'm liking what you do with your hair. (laughs) You better not compliment a woman that way. On Saturday, the journalist Laura Bassett published an essay accusing Matthews of making multiple inappropriate comments about her appearance, reviving longstanding allegations about the anchor's sexist behavior. By, by Monday, his position at the news network he helped build had become untenable. Well, I'll tell you what, I hope they gave you a golden parachute because you should have negotiated something like that if you were starting, if you were helping make the network. Accompanied by his family, Matthews walked onto the hardball set inside NBC's Washington bureau shortly before 7 p.m. to deliver a brief farewell. His longtime crew members who had been told of his plans roughly an hour earlier looked on stunned. I'm retiring. He told viewers in a solemn and brief monologue as his broadcast began at seven. This is the last hardball on MSNBC. Well, I look forward to the woke cultists who take his position. His sudden sign off took many colleagues by surprise. Wait, what? Katie Turr writes on Twitter. Katie Turr, the freaky conspiracy theorist. But it followed days of discussions with Phil Griffin, the president of MSNBC and one of the earlier earlier executive producers of hardball. You know, it'd be funny. Could you imagine this kind of news coverage if, say, like Owen Schroyer quit Infowars in, in disgrace because he was accused of complimenting a woman? Like it never, it's never going to happen. And nobody would care anyway. The reason I bring it up is MSNBC is a kooky conspiracy channel. Like I, I'm, I'm not even exaggerating. Like at this point, the fact that people aren't calling them out is mind blowing to me. They literally had a guy on, on MSNBC saying that Trump may be an asset of the Russians since the 80s. Like that's insane. But you know what's even crazier is that the mainstream media entertained the most freakish and absurd conspiracy theory. Like, dude, just think about how insane this is. And I can't believe we've crossed this threshold. If I walked up to you and said, Barack Obama is is working for Russia, you'd be like, okay, all right, buddy, you know, padded room is that way. And and we literally got to the point where MSNBC, MSNBC hosts screeching on TV that Trump was an asset of the Russians 
holding up a sign that says the end is nigh and that Russia was going to shut off electricity to Fargo in the winter and everyone's going to freeze. That's, that's literally what they do. It's, it's shockingly psychotic. That's why it's really funny to me when people are like, they still latch onto this old, oh, but Fox News. I'm like, have you watched Fox News lately? They did a Bernie Sanders town hall. Trump's ragging on them because they're hiring moderates and Democrats like Donna Brazil. I'm not saying they're perfect, but come on, you're going to watch MSNBC. You've lost the plot. So you know what? I'll say this. Good riddance. I hope the rest of them get fired. I look forward to, you know, Big Red or some other crazy feminist screeching on the TV about the patriarchy. That would be awesome. That would be at least entertaining. So here's what, here's what they say. His sudden sign off took me by surprise. But it followed, followed days of discussions with Phil Griffin, the president of MSNBC and one of the earlier, early executive producers of Hardball. Griffin, who was close with Matthews, traveled to Washington over the weekend to discuss his future in person, according to three people who requested anonymity to describe sensitive conversations. On the air on Monday, Matthews made clear the timing of his exit was not entirely his choosing. Here's what I think happened. I think they were yelling at him. He had already apologized to Bernie Sanders. Check this out. I think I, I think I have a look at this. Chris Matthews apologizes to Bernie Sanders for remarks on Nevada win. An on-air comparison to Nazis angered Sanders aides who privately complained to executives at MSNBC. Stupid thing to say, Matthews. I got to admit. But he did apologize. I think this triggered the woke authoritarians who immediately pulled out every stop and said, bum, 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 Chris Matthews has har- harassed me in 2016. Oh, and they did nothing about it back then, huh? Apparently they paid a settlement in like 1999 or whatever. So this guy's been doing this stuff for a long time and nobody cared up until he questioned Bernie Sanders. But here's what I think happened. I think when they accused him of being condescending to Warren, that was a lie. It was just a manipulation technique because for some reason these big networks are stupid and bend over backwards to a few woke Twitterati. But I think he gets called in. They say, hey, you know, you can't, you know, we got to figure this out. He's like, sure. And I think they wanted him to, you know, apologize, apologize or bend the knee or do something. And Matthews finally said, no, I'm quitting. And so his resignation was actually more of a mutual explosion, if, if you know, for lack of a better term. So on Monday, he said uh, uh, it wasn't his choosing, quote, obviously, it isn't for a lack of interest in politics. Compliments on a woman's appearance that some men, including me, might have once incorrectly thought were OK are never OK. Not then and certainly not today. Yeah, no, sorry, buddy. That's just not true. You're just a whiny loser who works for the whiny loser network who bends the knee to whiny losers. So here's what happens. And I'm, and I'm not here to say his behavior is perfect. Certainly, you can say it's questionable. But let's, let's, let's draw some boundaries for a second. Bassett claimed that while she was getting her makeup applied, Matthews looked her over and asked, why haven't I fallen in love with you yet? So is, is, is that it actually, is he calling her ugly? Like, is he implying that he hasn't fallen in love with her because she's not good looking? I don't know. Bassett writes that the remark caused her to nervously laugh. Matthews, meanwhile, continued to comment, telling the makeup artist to keep putting makeup on Bassett because he'd fall in love with her. Oh, grow up. Seriously, that's it. That's what he said. I couldn't believe it. The columnists also recall how another instance in, in, in which Matthews stepped between her and Amir and asked, her, asked of her attire, you going out tonight? After she replied that she didn't know. Matthews once again spoke to the makeup artist and made the following request. Make sure you wipe this off her face after the show. We don't want her up so some guy at the bar can look at her like this. Okay, that one gets, I guess, kind of close. But I'll tell you what. I might fall in love with you. Are you going out tonight? Are you serious? You're bent out of shape over that? Dude, I have been called so much worse by people in the workplace. 
Like, what? I, don't, I don't get it. Thin-skinned people who are complaining and whiny and want the authority to step in and, 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 and give them their toy. I imagine that a lot of these people who complain about this stuff grew up with like a brother and a sister, and every problem was solved by their parents. It, you know, like they'd be fighting over the last bowl of cinnamon toast crunch, and they'd complain to the parents, and the parents would come in and like bop one of the kids and then pour the seal for the other kid. So they grew up thinking, if I ever in any way feel slighted, I'll make sure to destroy you. Certainly, they got some kind of mental problems where they need to be in charge and in control of everything at all times. You know, I think it is for a lot of these people on the far left. They have no real self-esteem, so they justify their existence by hurting other people. Like when you have confidence in yourself, you don't care. I'll give you an example, right? So my buddy Adam co-hosts, we do the podcast every night, TimCast IRL. If you haven't seen it, check it out, youtube.com slash TimCast IRL. And people in the comments call him Soy Jesus because he's got long hair and he's vegan. And he, he's, he loves it. He laughs about it. He's all excited. People in the comments started calling him Soy Jesus and he gets all excited. He's like, yeah. And he thinks it's funny. Some, like, I, I can only imagine if you started calling people Soy Boys or whatever, they freak out and get really angry. So they call him Soy Bro and he laughs about it. You know why? Because he doesn't care what you call him. He's like, you can call, you can call him whatever. I, I, I'm the exact same way. I was like, you can call me Susan if it makes you happy. I don't care. I know what I'm doing. I know what I need to do. And I don't care what words you use. So there's a big contrast between people like this. who are going to be like, someone once came in and complimented my appearance. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry that Chris Matthews did this to you. What, a, what an awful existence. You know what, man? If he came in and started licking his lips and talking about her body parts, I'd be like, yo, bro, you got a problem? But if someone comes up to you and they're like, woo, you are looking good. You're going out tonight. Even if it was a guy, I'd be like, man, why are you dressed so sharp, buddy? You're going to go out tonight or what? Make sure you take that off. The laser me all over you. Oh, oh no. Heaven forbid I talk about the reality of sexual attraction and adulthood at a bar. So look, I think Chris Matthews should keep the workplace more professional for sure. But is this, the, is this really why he's getting fired? Yep. This is it. He's, he, he literally says in the, in the article, comments about a woman's appearance are never okay. Are never okay? Hold on, hold on. Compliments on a woman's appearance that some men, including me, might have once incorrectly thought were okay are never okay, he said. Not then and certainly not today. I'm sorry. That's just pure psychotic behavior. You can compliment people's looks, period. If you get mad, I don't care. There is a line. There is decency. But look how far the line is being pushed by these lunatics. You just lost Chris Matthews, like one of your biggest cheerleaders, because you're all insane. You want to win so bad. They don't actually care about any of this stuff. They're just trying to burn it down so they can feel good about themselves because they don't know what or who they are. So many people, I think mostly millennials, have no purpose, have no drive, are just confused and angry all the time. So they get satisfaction by destroying others. They're, it's, it's like the dark side. It's evil. And they're a small faction, but guess what? There's no spines left on the left. So, so there's no spines left on the left. Look, when you get people who leave the left, it actually bums me out because someone's got to tell these people they're lunatics. But you know what? What are you going to do about it? If the Democrats are going to let these people take over, if the left is going to become this, well, then you know what? They deserve each other. And now we're seeing across the board. Look, I, d- I did a video about this in small towns, Ross River, Pennsylvania, uh, township council people switch the Republican Party. A state senator quits the Democratic Party, starts caucusing for Republicans. Jeff Van Drew quits the, D- the Democratic Party, joins the Republicans. We see it all the time. Now, of course, there are some Republicans quitting for, for you know, for sure. But there's a reason why people are leaving the left. It's because, listen, you might think Trump is, you know, a potty mouth. I certainly think he's got a bad attitude. But I'll tell you what, 
If Trump is the line for the right and he can say things like only Rosie O'Donnell, you know, calling her a fat pig, basically, that means that I'm allowed to say something simple like, hey, that's a pretty that's a pretty sharp outfit you got. That's a great dress. You're looking good tonight and not have to worry about getting my life destroyed. If Donald Trump is the line and that line is far away, we can feel comfortable in our speech. Who wants to live walking on eggshells like a rabbit hiding under a tree, shaking that at any moment a hawk's going to swoop down and rip your, rip your head off? Or you can be the hawk. You can be hiding behind the hawk, knowing that you can say whatever you want because that guy's way worse than you. And people crave it. Freedom. They don't want to be scared. They don't want to be stressed out. So who's going to want to be a part of this cult? Well, I'll tell you what, Chris Matthews is out and they're going to replace him with a more cult friendly personality. And that's where we're headed. They're slowly going to start shifting in that direction. But you know, you know, you know, it's also the problem too. Look, the whole, the whole machine is shifting partly because a lot of people on the left have been pushed to the right. So I think Trump might form a massive coalition of former liberals, moderates, and conservatives, but it does mean the Republicans will shift left as well. Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we maintain a balance that when, when it finally comes time to wipe out the far left and they're just, their party collapses, they never win an election you know, for, you know, in, in 10 years or whatever, the Republicans keep winning. And then the Repu- like people who are on the right now, who are still moderate, start forming a more moderate left-wing party. I'm not saying that the Democrats should always run moderates or centrist Democrats, whatever they want to call them. You can have a moderately progressive candidate. And the reason I say moderately progressive is because these people are lunatics. More importantly, you need to have liberty-minded people. All right, so I was supposed to do this, but I started ranting, so forgive me. But check this out. In 2018, Mike Cernovich tweeted, Hardball Chris harassed a woman at NBC, paid a settlement. No journalist or guest has asked him to explain this perverted behavior. What else are they covering up? Remember Weinstein. We then saw that, that uh, Chris Matthews apologized. But anyway, I, this is the one tweet I was, I was meaning to show you, to show that this is something that's actually been talked about in the past. And the reason why I'm showing you this from Cernovich 2018 to ask the question, why didn't they ever say anything about Matthew's behavior before? Why now? It's because the insurgent left, the socialist authoritarians are now taking over. And now that they have the power and they know how to exploit the system, they'll do it. Let me give you a warning. If you happen to be someone who works in a leftist institution, a left-wing institution, MSNBC, if you don't quit now, and start securing your future and making your plans. You will be out. You will be without work. You might be a producer at MSNBC. You might agree with Chris Matthews or have no problem with him giving women compliments to certain degrees. I understand. Well, guess what? The purge is coming. It's been coming. It's they, they, they purge as many as they can. They say, get out. You're not left wing. Fine. Leave. Because if you don't, and you don't plan for what happens when you get fired, you'll be out, you'll have no job, and you'll be desperate. And you know what? You'll deserve it. So this is your chance. They eat their own like nobody's business. Chris Matthews, MSNBC Harbaugh, out. He got destroyed for daring to question the orthodoxy. Who do you think they're coming for next? They'll come for you. I I hope you relish in it. Because even if you are one of these woke ideologues, they'll come for you too. They go after each other no matter what. They're piranhas. They wait for blood. They'll go after their own. They don't care. It's, it's just pure lunacy and chaotic destruction. There's no, there's no future aligned with these lunatics. Only destruction. And, and I think they'll come for Chris Hayes. I think they'll come for Maddow as well. Look at J.K. Rowling. The line keeps moving. They want blood. 
So when J.K. Rowling makes a, a tepid tweet, they try to destroy her. When Chris Matthews, well, he went kind of off the top over Bernie Sanders, but oh, don't you dare challenge the, the priest of their ideology. They'll come for you next. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. Maybe I'm just too young or wasn't paying attention, but I can't recall a time when the flu infected 10% of our members of Congress. Right now in Iran, one in 10 Iranian uh, MPs, members of parliament, have tested positive for coronavirus, deputy speaker said. In fact, one MP has died. Now it is disputed, but some people are saying it was coronavirus. And several Iranian officials have died. This to me seems like it is a bit worse than the flu. So I think Donald Trump was downplaying it, saying it's it's like the common flu. It's actually, so I don't, I don't want to misquote him because look, I'm one of the biggest cri- critics of the media when they misquote him. But suffice it to say, this is not the flu. It's worse than the flu. And I don't recall a point at which we've had breaking news stories where 10% or more of a governing body all got sick with several of them dying. That to me seems, well, kind of alarming. There are crazy videos coming out of Iran that are hard to verify. One of like a kid falling over. They say he's got coronavirus. Hard to know exactly what's going on. But I think it's fair to say that this is traveling fast. One of the reasons why we're seeing the numbers sort of stagger now is because China's enacted authoritarian reform. Well, not reforms, but actions, essentially dictatorial martial law, locking people down and people are scared. Outside of China, we're seeing steady growth of coronavirus infections. And in the US, we now have six deaths, I believe, in over 100 cases. But that's only because, well, we haven't actually tested everybody. And the FDA is planning on testing people. So the numbers in the US is going to spike. We're already seeing panic buying. The best I can do is say, calm down. But I will tell you, based based on what I've read, it's important to state that the mortality rate is relative, is decently low, though it is a lot higher than the flu, 10 to 20 times higher. So it's serious. But the, the, the big concern is that apparently the people who have gotten it say it hits them hard and hits them fast. That's what's scary. There was one op-ed released where a woman was saying that she got sick, but she felt fine. And then all of a sudden, within hours, she was sick and she had a, mat, a really high fever. And that's the problem. That's why this is so serious. There's another individual who was on that dime, was it Diamond Princess cruise ship. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he was saying that he felt completely fine, got on a plane, and then all of a sudden, just boom, he got hit. So people don't know they have it. By the time they do, it might be, you know, that they're getting hit with really hard symptoms and you need to be hospitalized. But here, here's what we'll do. Let's read about what's going on in Iran, because I think this scenario is like the absolute worst case scenario you'd expect. Government officials getting sick. I mean, I guess they tried to cover this up, downplay it. Well, now you reap the rewards and it's ravaging their government. BuzzFeed News reports, 23 Iranian MPs have so far tested positive for the novel coronavirus, the country's deputy speaker said Tuesday. Abdul Reza Mesri told Iranian state television that the MPs had contracted the virus through contact with their constituents. Iran's parliament has 290 seats, so just shy of one in 10. Ali Aruzi tweeted, staggering. I don't think any other country's officials have been affected in this way. Iranian state media quoting deputy speaker of parliament say 23 MPs have tested positive for the coronavirus. That's not to mention other officials who have contracted it or died of COVID-19. I think we will see very soon many more people in Iran's government getting infected and maybe even dying. Quote, 
These people have close have a close relationship with the people and they carry different viruses from different parts of the country, which may create a new virus. So we recommend the lawmakers to cut off their relationship with the public for now. Messery reportedly told the Young Journalists Club program on Tuesday, Iranian health official Ali Reza Raisi said that there were now 2,336 cases of COVID-19 in the country and that 77 people have died. We have this graph here. Total, this is from BuzzFeed News, total cases in China versus other countries. You can see in China, we saw stable growth up until around the 12th of, uh, the 12th of February in China, when there was a massive spike jumping from around four, from 44,000 up to 66,000. And it has slowly grown since then, slowly tapering off between the second and third, some of the lowest uh, uh, increase in cases we've seen. But this all has to do with whether or not people are being tested. If we don't test them, we don't count the number. It's probably substantially worse. In the United States, there's probably already tens of thousands of people who are infected. If you were to ask me, maybe I'm wrong. Now, check this out. While China has enacted these authoritarian measures, it's going to help them out in a lot of ways. Let's be real. You know, locking people up, barricading them in their homes. Yeah, that's going to stop the spread of a virus. I'll take freedom, though, and the risks that come with it. With those risks, we can see slow and steady growth now affecting the rest of the world, and it's starting to grow exponentially. So we can see that cases were slowly, slowly growing, very slowly. And now since around the 26th of February, uh, cases outside of China have been jumping. Keep in mind, as we learn more about this and as the news spreads, more people begin to be aware that they may have the virus. They might get tested. Hospitals are going to start testing. So cases will jump, not because people are necessarily getting infected. They probably are, but because we just don't know. So we have this really low number and, and this, this, this creates a false sense of security. There are 12,152 cases outside of China right now. And you're gonna have a lot of people saying out of the billions of the people on this planet, we only have 12,000 outside of China. Why should I care? Yes. And if they tested literally every single person, it could be a hundred plus thousand, which means it's going to start spreading faster and faster. Now, what I wanted to get across in all the other videos I've done, and I'll just reiterate it. One person losing their life is one person too many. So if you want to say like, oh, who cares? It's only got a 2% mortality rate. Okay, then if you want to be responsible for spreading that and other people get sick and lose their lives, even if it's just 2%, you think that's okay? No, we want to, we want to stop the flow of this. We want to stop the spread. And I'll ask it again. When, when people keep saying, it's just like the flu, it's no big deal. We had flu season, affected way more people. Why wasn't Iran's politicians wiped out by the flu? This is different. It's traveling is faster, faster, and it's got a much higher mortality rate. BuzzFeed says, more people have died in Iran from COVID-19 than in any other country apart from China, where the outbreak originated in late December. But Iran officially has only half the number of cases of South Korea, leading to suggestions that the true amount of people with the virus in Iran may be much higher. So we can see this here, total deaths in China versus other countries. Now this is, we, we saw the amount of cases going up staggering in China, but deaths are actually steadily climbing, although the, 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 the mortality rate is low. Outside, we can see that from the second to third, there have been people who have lost their lives outside of China, but it seems to have slowed a little bit. Hopefully it stays down. We can see that for the most part, people outside of China are not necessarily dying. So I will, I will add this. If we are seeing thousands of cases in the US, for whatever reason, the death rate isn't that high. And I think the death rate should be a better indicator. So while we probably have many cases, 80% of which are, are mild symptoms, we're looking at a death rate that's relatively low. 
the six people who lost their lives in Washington, I believe there was a nursing home. So these are older people. And that's what you can expect with basically any outbreak, epidemic, pandemic or whatever. BuzzFeed says last week, it was revealed that the head of Iran's anti-coronavirus task force had tested positive for the virus shortly after downplaying the impact of the coronavirus in Iran. That seems to make sense. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Contagion, but the, the um, Kate Winslet, I think the actress was, she, she eventually catches it too, because let's be real. If you're, if you're working on this, you're going to increase your chance of exposure to the virus. Several Iranian officials have died. They go on to list them. They say, Mohammed Mermohammadi, referred to as a confidant of Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, and Hadi Khosrowshahi, I'm sorry, Hadi Khosrowshahi, a senior cleric and the former ambassador to the Vatican. Newly elected MP Muhammad Ali Ramazani Dostik died on Saturday in disputed, circumstance, disputed circumstances with conflicting reports whether he had flu or COVID, COVID-19. Also on Tuesday, it was reported by the, I, the LNA and Tasnim news agencies that the head of Iran's emergency medical services Pirosain Kolivand had been infected with the novel coronavirus. So one of the challenges, the important thing that you need to realize, this is new with no immunity. It will spread fast or faster than, say, the flu. And it's got a higher mortality rate. I, I know, forgive me if I said it already, but these are the things that you need to consider and why it's likely affecting these countries much more heavily than the flu has. So when someone tells you it's fine, I mean, don't panic, don't freak out, but uh, uh, keep, take it seriously. We have a story here from Newsweek, coronavirus U.S. outbreak update. New cases confirmed in Georgia, California, Oregon, and Washington. Newsweek reports the virus has claimed the lives of, more, of, of four more people in the U.S., raising the death toll to six, all of which reported, are reported to be in Washington. At least 12 more have been infected in the state, while new cases have also been confirmed in Georgia, California, and Oregon. The deadly virus, which was first reported in Wuhan City, we know that. So Washington declares another state of emergency. This I, I did cover, so we know, but I want to go through some of these updates with you. The governor's uh, declaration directs state agencies and departments to utilize state resources and do everything reasonably possible to assist affected communities responding to and recovering from COVID-19. We also have Georgia reporting its first cases, more cases in California, and now Florida, uh, Oregon sees its third case. And Florida, it has been confirmed now by the CDC that some suspected cases are in fact confirmed. And over in Washington, we have this tweet from a reporter from King Seattle. The Lake Washington Institute of Technology, 22 students and faculty who visited the Kirkland nursing home where multiple people contracted coronavirus are now being told three days after the cases are confirmed, they should self-quarantine. You know what? It probably makes a lot of sense to self-quarantine, but I have to wonder if it's too little too late. So here we have a tweet thread about Iran. I think I think Iran could could essentially serve as maybe a canary in the coal mine for how serious this might be. Or it could be a good example of what not to do. Don't downplay this. Take serious action. I'm not super familiar with who Ali is, but this thread has got gone massively viral. 24,000 retweets. He says coronavirus epidemic in Iran has passed the crisis level. The country is imploding law and order to disappear in the next days. A number of officials already died and mass infection among hospital staff and police forces reported. He says, uh, Iran Corona, all of this, why? The, re- the, re- the regime hid the initial cases since one, it was just before election and they needed a high turnout. Two, due to political need, did not stop flights to China. 
Three, source seems to be cleric students from China arrived in calm. Four, did not close religious shrines. We saw some reporting that people were licking the shrines. But I'll tell you what, man, it's Super Tuesday. Democrats need record voter turnout. How many people are scared and not going to show up in some of these states? Not only that, there's severe weather in some as well. I think it's possible we see a really low voter turnout, which is bad, bad news for Democrats. Maybe bad news for Joe Biden. I think Bernie Sanders supporters want the revolution. They're going to go out no matter what. We can see similarities, though. It was just before an election in Iran and they needed a high turnout. Well, here in the U.S., we got a lot of people downplaying coronavirus as well, which could backfire, particularly on the uh, well, none of, it could backfire on the Democrats. I mean, maybe they'll get their votes and then things get bad. Ali goes on to say, instead of providing information on the gravity of the risks to the public, played down and resorted to the same ta- tactic of rhetoric. We will fight and beat it. Now it is spread everywhere. The world now has an example on what failure to contain the virus can do. Ali says, my parents, brother and uncles and in-laws there, and I am so worried about them. In, in the below, I will bring some examples of what is going on and alleged reports in the lack of official reports. There is really no way to confirm or deny any of the below. An MP who was elected during the election two weeks ago has died. He was from the province of Gilan. There is a video of him, uh, of, of him spreading when he was just infected. I don't know what that means, spreading. A hardline filmmaker tweeted just before election that he has flu and wished he had corona to show off. He has passed away now. Wow. A number of graves being dug seems to be related to high casualty of corona in the province of Gilan. An airline staff collapsing in the airport. It is reported he passed away, just like the other video we saw of the kid passing out and falling down in the street, struggling to get up. This morgue ambulance was reported to have been abandoned after carrying a victim of coronavirus in Mazan Duran province with no official reported infections. A clinic in the south of Iran has been torched by angry locals after allegedly 10 corona patients were transferred to the center. Jeez, this is crazy. Out of 100 MPs tested, five were positive. Well, that number's up. This is, this is from a few days ago. One of the president's deputies, Masuma Ebtikar, has been infected. Meanwhile, there is denial going on by the religious base of the regime. This person is licking the shrine to prove that the shrine has a healing power. Could be why many people are getting infected in Iran. I kid you not. The casualty among the medical staff has been very high. A number of them already died. Meanwhile, the parliament is considering recognizing the medical victims as martyr. Wow. Ex-intelligence minister Mostafa Purmohamadi has been hospitalized. Among the medical staff, there was a number of reports of casualty among doctors in the province of Gilan. Information, information police has arrested a number of people spreading what was claimed to be fake news. This person from the hardline base of the regime is threatening any of the medical staff in reporting what he alleges fake news. An ex-coach of a local football team in the province of Gilan has passed away due to the current. So this is, this is, this is crazy. This is all from the past several days. Let me scroll down. Look at this. There's been a number of cases seen that victims collapse on the streets, similar to what was reported in China. Tell me this is the flu. Tell me it's as bad as the flu. I'm not buying it. I think it's way worse. I'm not saying the end is nigh. I really want people to remain calm because going out and panic buying at shops, too little, too late. But I'll tell you what, flu season happens every year. Is there a political reason, a media reason why we don't see people just dropping in the streets, collapsing? I I don't know. Do people with flu go out and then pass out? I don't see it. It could be because coronavirus hits so hard and so fast 
that people feel fine. They go out and all of a sudden get hit with all the symptoms and they hit the deck. Currently, there are no signs of widespread chaos or mayhem on the streets. The schools in several provinces are closed for 40 days, but most shops remain open. Although there are some reports of shops closing voluntarily, many sports events and concerts have been canceled. They say an Iraqi reporter in Tehran has now been infected. This is crazy. This thread's huge. I'm going to try and load more of what this guy's thread is and try and get a, one of his, more, his later tweets now, because all of this is from February 29th. What's happening in Iran seems to be absolutely crazy. A hardline clear from Khan passed away due to COVID-19 three days ago and was buried today. Bodies have been reported to be buried deeply in the ground and covered in lime and alkaline minerals. So he had to make a new thread. I guess the thread got too big. But you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to keep reading. I, I think you get the point. What we've seen in China, people collapsing in the streets, being carried away on stretchers, the reaction from the governments in China, South Korea, and now and, and the failures in Iran says to me that this is, it's, it's bad. It really, really is. It's going, to, it's going to be bad. The U.S. is going to start testing people. We're going to see cases skyrocket. And I think it is absolutely fair to say supply chain disruption seems likely. Now, I haven't noticed anything in my area because I went shopping early, so I don't know what's going on at the local stores. But as more information about this comes out, don't be surprised if people start, you know, freaking out. There was a big rally yesterday in the market, the biggest gains in history. Well, now that as of right now, there's a big sell off after the Fed cut interest rates by about half a percent. We've seen a reaction from the G7. This is an international crisis nearing pandemic. So far, the World Health Organization has been reticent to call it a pandemic, calling it an outbreak, but we're getting really, really close. At the same time, you have people on the left and the right saying everything's fine. And this is what's crazy. It's it's so crazy to me. There's a lot of people who don't want to admit this could get bad, probably because we're skeptics. We've seen it all before. Outbreaks in the news. This seems different. When SARS happened, Did we get wall to wall coverage of people collapsing in the streets of government officials in Iran collapsing? We didn't. I didn't see it. And it was only a few thousand people, I think, who actually ended up dying from it. We're well beyond that now. Not even I'm sorry, it was like 700. So we're well beyond that now. This might not reach insane levels. But when we saw Ebola and there was the freak out, that didn't even leave the country for the most part or the countries it was in. It was mostly, I think, in like Congo. I could be wrong or maybe maybe I've got the country wrong. It, it was mostly contained. It didn't spread around the world the way this is. Coronavirus is it, people are asymptomatic and they're spreading it. That's what's scary. And when you see videos of people collapsing in the street, I hope you all take this seriously. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 4 p.m. at youtube.com slash TimCast. It is Super Tuesday. This is going to be fun. I will see you all in the next segment. Thanks for hanging out. Hillary Clinton goes after Bernie Sanders, saying his campaign is just baloney. But it's not the comment about his campaign being baloney that makes me laugh. And boy, did I laugh. It's that in the interview, she says something truly amazing. The interviewer for Good Morning America, uh, Lindsey Davis, says, you know, Bernie Sanders in 2016 wanted a contested convention. Now he's changing his mind. How do you feel about that? I'll tell you what. I'm just going to play for you the audio from the Good Morning America clip. 
And then I'm going to explain to you why this is one of the, well, I mean, based on the title of the video, you may have already figured out what's going on, but just, just watch. Just curious to get your response to hearing that Bernie Sanders said <clears throat> that if he makes it to the uh, convention with the most pledged mm-hmm. delegates, that he should be the nominee. That's quite a bit of a, a change in his stance <laughs> from 2016. Your reaction? Well, my reaction is let's follow the rules. We've got rules. We had rules last time and we have rules this time. And uh, I think it's always a good idea to follow the rules. Everybody knew what they were when you got into it. In the campaign. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did she just say everybody knew what they were when we got into it, when when they got into it? That sounds a lot like what conservatives say when the Hillary Clinton people complain that she won the popular vote but still lost. And they say it's the Electoral College. We should change the rules. But hold on, Hillary. There are rules. Everybody knows the rules. Everybody knew the rules and they got into it, right? Didn't you just say that? Listen, 2016, Hillary Clinton, it's time to abolish the Electoral College. Oh, harumph, I say. Everybody knew the rules. You knew the game you were playing. You played by those rules and you lost. It's your fault. Your strategy was bad. You know what we see from this, though? I find it really, really funny. We see that Bernie Sanders is a hypocrite. Hillary Clinton is a hypocrite. Is anyone surprised to hear that these people are hypocrites? Well, let's read a little bit of this article now that I've, I've given you the straight lead. And we'll talk about Bernie Sanders being baloney. Doubling down on comments made it, I'm sorry, this is from Fox News. Doubling down on comments made in a Hulu documentary she had filmed before the 2020 primary season. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton said Tuesday that Vermont Senator, uh, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign is just baloney. In an interview on ABC's Good Morning America with host Lindsey Davis, the former 2016 presidential candidate said that her opinion of Sanders and his campaign has not changed. That was my authentic opinion then. It's my authentic opinion now, she said. Well, hold on. That wasn't your authentic opinion when Bernie Sanders endorsed you. It was, thank you, Bernie, for lending me your support. But of course, now that it's no longer politically expedient, Hillary Clinton is once again back on that screw Bernie Sanders train. She was always Bernie bad. Then Bernie endorsed her, and it was the greatest thing ever to get all those progressive votes, which she kind of only got some of. And then once she's out, she's like, I don't care. Bernie's nuts. Bernie's baloney. Well, of course, they have no principle. Neither she nor Bernie do, as far as I'm concerned. In the upcoming four-part docuseries, Hillary, set to be released this Friday, the former senator and first lady said nobody liked Sanders or wanted to work with him and that he got nothing done. Mm, The last one's kind of true, though. He was a career politician. It's all just baloney. And I feel so bad that people got sucked into it, she said. Clinton also responded to Sanders' altered position on the number of delegates needed to clinch the Democratic nomination. Sanders had said that if he makes it to the 2020 Democratic convention with the most pledged delegates, he should be the nominee. A marked change from his stance four years ago. My reaction is, let's follow the rules. We've got rules. We had rules last time. We have rules this time. I think it's always a good idea to follow the rules. Everybody knew what they were when you got, when you got into it. In addition, Clinton told Davis that she was concerned that Sanders' potential nomination could ruin the Liberal Party's chances of keeping its majority in the House of Representatives or flipping the Republican-held Senate, both of which will never happen. Well, now it won't happen in November, at least as far, at, at least in my opinion, based on my assumptions, because you don't have anybody. What do you got? What are you running on? What, 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 what proposals? What policies? The people who are voting in the Democratic primary today on Super Tuesday are doing it just because they don't like the orange man. Sorry, that's not confidence building. I don't think you stand for anything. When you come out 
and drag Bernie Sanders. Okay, Hillary Clinton comes out, drags Bernie Sanders because he doesn't want to follow the rules now. And in 20, how many times has she and, and her ilk talked about ending the Electoral College? Spare me your hypocrisy. I don't care and I don't trust you. Here's what, in addition, she, oh, so yeah, she says, change is hard. It's not glamorous. It doesn't fit into a soundbite. And yet the people who were elected in 2018 are out there doing the people's work. No, they aren't. They did a failed impeachment. They were like, we're going to campaign on kitchen table issues. And then as soon as they got in, they were like, now we're going to impeach Trump and we're going to fail doing it. No one thought they were going to win impeachment. Why were these people elected? I'm sorry, blue waivers. What did you have? In, what, what were you thinking? What was, what was, what was going on in there? Huh? She says, I think we ought to be more understanding and realistic on what it takes to get change in this big, complicated, pluralistic democracy of ours, says the lady who drags Bernie Sanders. The Democratic Socialist is widely expected to have a delegate lead after Super Tuesday races. He's a fan favorite in California, which will hand out over 400 delegates. That said, it's uncertain whether Sanders will secure the 1,991 delegates he needs to take him all the way before a convention. Former Former Vice President Joe Biden handily won the South Carolina primary on Saturday and is also hoping for a strong result on Tuesday as a number of other notably more moderate Democrats rally to support him, an effort Sanders has rejected as a massive effort from the party's establishment trying to stop his momentum. Clinton said, there's a long way to go in the race and she's not offering an endorsement at this time. Today is obviously a big day, she said. I'm just watching and hoping that we nominate whoever is the strongest candidate to take out the current incumbent. Ooh, watch your language, Hillary. Some people got banned on Twitter for saying stuff like that. That's the only thing that really matters at the end of the day. No, what I think really matters to Hillary Clinton and her crony ilk is propping up their crony ilk so they can get elected positions, sit in the ivory tower and dangle the keys and do nothing. That's what they've always done. And it's what they're going to do. One thing I find truly funny about politics, actually a really good statement, Politics is downstream from culture. That's why literally every single politician flip flops. Actually, I'm sorry, I take that back. Ron Paul, I'm pretty sure didn't. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure Ron Paul didn't flip flop. No, he seems like a cool guy. Don't agree with him on, on everything. But all they really want is to say what needs to be said to get elected. And it's the craziest thing to me. It, it, it really is. And it's why I have no interest in ever being involved in this kind of, I don't know, shenanigans. I couldn't imagine believing in free speech, like so many of these Democrats did when Jon Stewart was on The Daily Show and he called Baltimore an asshole. He did, by the way, and praised Project Veritas. All of these people were like, yeah, that's right. Everybody's claiming to like this guy, so I'll claim to like this guy too. And now that we're in the era of woke psychosis, they're like, well, I don't know about that. Those jokes were offensive. I should be against these things. Okay, you know what, man? Bernie Sanders had no problem being consistent on, on so much why did he flip flop? Is it because he got a taste of that sweet million dollar Skrilla, sold a book to a bunch of woke morons, made a million bucks and said, hey, I like being rich. Being rich is great. What do I got to say to stay being rich? What's the saying? Power corrupts and absolute power tends to corrupt absolutely. So as soon as Bernie Sanders got his sweet moolah, what did he do? He dropped the millionaire from his millionaires and billionaires. Hillary Clinton complains that she should have won 2016, but the Electoral College needs to be abolished. Now that Bernie Sanders is complaining and threatening the awful neoliberal ladies establishment party, she's saying, well, we all knew the rules. Here's what they have from, uh, from CNN. This is back in 2017, mind you. They say Hillary Clinton told CNN on Wednesday that it's time to abolish the Electoral College. 
part of a sweeping interview where the former Democratic nominee sought to explain why she lost in the 2016 election. What's that word that's like, it's, it's for when you say something, but then you don't actually adhere to your own principles? A hypocrisy seems to define the Democratic Party these days, doesn't it? They, 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 they play up how they're the ones protecting democracy. Donald Trump is destroying democracy and destroying government. Yet they literally say whatever they need to say to win. Remember when Hillary Clinton went to that rally? I don't know where down south. And she put on a southern drawl and everyone's like, dude, we know what you talk like. You're on TV all the time. Do you think we're in the 50s where like people aren't going to watch TV or it's only local television? That to me is what's truly crazy that she never learned that today is the internet. And that means the things you've said in 2017, we can hear today. Is she now against abolishing the Electoral College? I'll tell you what, from this point on, whenever anyone comes to you and says the Electoral College is in the way and they try and use Hillary Clinton as defense, just show them that interview from Hillary Clinton where she says, I'll I'll quote, where is it at? I'll quote her. Uh, We've got rules. We had rules last time and we have rules this time. I think it's always a good idea to follow the rules. Everybody knew what they were when you got into it. Just quote that and hand it to them. Put it on a card, actually. But here you go. What was that you were saying about the Electoral College? The Electoral College is actually really important. So if somebody wants to argue and be like, "Mm, I don't know, Hillary Clinton supports it now, (laughs) technically, although I guess it's kind of funny how she could simultaneously, they're going to try and argue, I'll tell you this that she simultaneously holds both opinions. But you know what? Let, let, let me stop you right there. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me stop right now. I don't think anybody cares about this lady anymore anyway. I don't think, you know, most of the Democrats, even the ones who would support Biden, it, I think it was like 75% of Democrats did not want Hillary to run. And apparently she was, she was probably floating it to see, putting feelers out there to see if she could. I mean, she's old too, but nobody wanted her to run. Nobody cares what she has to say at this point. So maybe that argument wouldn't actually work. Suffice it to say though, Whenever anyone says ban the Electoral College, I think it's fair to point out they're only saying it because this time they lost. Nobody complained when Obama won. That's the point. Hypocrites. I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got a couple more segments coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. This story pops up every year or a few months about a man named Dan Price. He runs a company called Gravity Payments, and you may have heard of this man because in 2015, he announced he was cutting down his million-dollar salary to $70,000 so that he could compensate all of his employees a minimum of $70,000. Some people quit in protest. Others complained that they had been working really, really hard in a very stressful job. And people in the mailroom all of a sudden got a ton of money. I'm using mailroom figuratively. Well, he says in the latest story that it's paying off in spades. I can't speak directly to who Dan Price is or what he's doing. I can tell you, however, that this sounds to me like a big old Okay, I don't find it genuine. There are certain words I have to avoid because a super rich guy might be litigious. I don't know. When I hear stories about CEOs saying, I have taken a small salary to to help compensate my employees, I'm like, oh, yes, tell me more about your salary. Can you please tell me about your bonus structure? Can you please tell me about your stock benefits and other non-salary compensation you probably receive? Let me tell you a story. It's about a man a man named Jeff Bezos. You know, his salary, I think last year was $83,000 a year. What a leader. He's taking a tiny salary. Oh, what's that? His full employment compensation was over a million dollars. Duh. You see, here's the thing. There are so many people that are aligned with, I don't know, someone like Bernie Sanders that have no idea how companies actually work and how compensation works. 
You could literally start a company and pay yourself $1 and then give yourself a bonus every month of like a hundred grand. If you're a rich guy like this, you want to be a million, make a million dollars a year and then say, I've actually elected to take a $1 salary. When in reality, your compensation is ridiculously high. Now, I do think it's fair to say it seems like his direct compensation is low. This guy particularly. I just think it's silly that you can come out with a story like this and everyone just eats it up thinking it's you know legit. What I think's actually happening. So first, let me give credit to this guy. I absolutely do want to give him credit. He is paying his, his, his lowest level staffers a ton of money. I absolutely agree with this. There, there, there was a funny comment I've, I've seen about this where some people were ragging on him for paying too much. And I'm like, first of all, his company, he can pay whoever he wants, whatever he wants. Second of all, dude, if you've got someone at the lowest level making trash wages, they're not going to care about your company and they're going to screw things up. You get somebody who's making a good wage. I don't know about paying everyone 70K. I mean, if you can afford it, sure. Pay more. Why not? Why 70K? Why not 77? Why not 80? Why not 100? But I do, I do like the general idea. I can understand why some people got mad and quit his company. I don't know how I would feel if I was breaking my back for a payment processor company, watching it grow to double or triple its profits, which it, which it did. It's my understanding. And then they say, you know that raise you've been fighting for? We're giving you a 2% raise. I'd be like, okay, thanks. And all of the people, the janitors, the, you know, people who, who do low entry level get, get a 500% or some ridiculous raise, not 500, but you know, maybe like a 200 to 300% raise. I mean, you're, you're sitting there thinking like, well, can you give me a bigger raise? Like I'm now going to get paid the same as a dude who mops the floor. The problem with this isn't so much about whether or not someone is or isn't deserving of the money or whether or not you are being hurt because other people are getting a raise. It's about morale. That's the big challenge. Why would you want to work at a company? Like, uh, here's, here's the point. And, and, and we'll read the story because I also want to drop some shade on this guy. Apparently there was a, there was an investigation in 2016 that found the guy may have been lying, I guess. So the company made like $16 million in, uh, in sales. Their gross profit was $14.8 million in 2015. And the dude's compensation in 2012 was 2 million, dropped to a million and then dropped to 416 in 2015. You want to know my assumption is not about him personally, because I'm, you know, I want to avoid super wealthy litigious people, but it's, it's possible that when you see stories like this, they're cutting their salaries, giving themselves a bonus, and then claiming they're not getting paid a whole lot. Because when the company's profit is for the profit is $14 million. Where do you think that money goes? Do you think it just evaporates? It's called profit. Now, some of it probably goes into a corporate coffer account. You know, they want to make sure they've got money for a rainy day that I get. But do you think the people running the business are like, no profit for me? You just go ahead and set that aside. I mean, maybe some people, depending on how rich they are, and they want to see the company survive. But come on, the point of the company is the profits go in their pocket. When companies, like, so, so a CEO of a company gets paid a salary. And if they're an equity holder, a shareholder, a stockholder, whatever, they get profits too. Lo and behold, this guy is, it's my understanding, a stockholder as well. Let me read the story for you. They say it's been five years since Dan Price took a massive pay cut so he could raise his employees' salaries and says he doesn't regret it at all. But he stopped short of calling it a success. Why? Well, he says, because in the five years since we've implemented our living wage program, income equality, wealth inequality, and just the disparity of power between the wealthiest and most powerful and everybody else has continued to grow in an alarming way. First, he did raise the salary of his employees. That I can fully respect. But did he really take this massive pay cut? Well, according to this story, 
They say this. Let me actually do a search here for the word. Here we go. Inc. Magazine reported in its uh, in its November cover story that Price told them he had, quote, sold all his stocks, emptied his retirement accounts and mortgaged his two properties, including a one point two million dollar home with a view of Puget Sound and poured the three million dollars he raised into gravity. However, as GeekWire reported in December, no mortgages have been recorded on the properties. In a subsequent court filing, Dan Price acknowledged that his homes haven't been mortgaged, saying that he attempted to mortgage my home and rental property. But so far, these loans have been denied based on the ongoing lawsuit. So he's being sued. So hold on. You mean to tell me he said he mortgaged his properties and put that money into the company to help compensate people, I'm assuming, right? No, he said he put them in the company. But wait a minute. Later, we found out his properties weren't actually mortgaged. This to me sounds like another fluff story. Warren Buffett, Zuckerberg, and other super wealthy people, I love this because they have done things where they've pledged to give away their money. Bill Gates, for instance, gave away a ton of his money to to the Bill Gates Foundation that he controls and then can pay himself a salary. I love it. I, I can't remember the exact details, but I remember reading that Mark Zuckerberg, he gave away all his money, they reported. Then it turns out that he gave all his money to an LLC, they reported. And that allows him to avoid paying taxes. Isn't it funny how that works? You see, he was trying to avoid the estate tax. That's my understanding. I could be wrong. I don't want to throw shade at somebody. I don't have the story pulled up. But here's how, here's how it works. You get super rich, right? Then you get worried that Bernie Sanders' insurgency is coming for the 1% and a bunch of budding young Robespierre's are marching behind Mr. Sanders, like we've seen from the Project Veritas videos. You then grow concerned that as an, a super wealthy individual in a, in a society with a growing wealth disparity, eventually the pitchforks will come to your house. What do you do? You defiantly reject the politics of the 1% and give away all your money and rally the people and say, I refuse to be a part of this system. I am giving up all of my money, mortgaging my homes to make sure that there is a living wage for everybody. And the pitchforks people cheer for you. They drop their torches and they dance and they cheer and they say, yay. And then you're sitting there with your hand behind your back saying, my salary is low, but my, you know, in my, my direct compensation otherwise can remain very, very high. I gave away all my money. Don't come for me. I'm not the 1%, says the billionaire who put all his money in a nonprofit he controls and now doesn't have to pay taxes on it because it's in a nonprofit 501c3. Now, here's the thing. There, there, are some, there, are, there are many loopholes, right, people use to get away with not paying taxes. I don't know. Maybe they, they, they can sh- store that money overseas. That's illegal. You can, well, depending. You can get caught for that stuff depending on what you do. But if you put all your money into a charity, you control it. You can buy whatever you want. Here's the other really funny thing about being the owner of a company that makes a ton of money. Yes, maybe he makes $70,000 a year, just like Jeff Bezos makes $83,000 a year. You can still buy whatever you want on the company card for the most part. What's that? The company needs a new car. Well, we need a car for certain deliveries. Yes, I've decided that our company needs to buy a brand new high-end Tesla for a couple hundred thousand dollars. And then you drive it around for work. That's how it works. I think, you know, I see all these stories about rich people claiming they're giving everything away and I just don't buy it. To be fair to Dan Price, for, I, I get it. He, he raised the salary. So, okay, you got to give him that one. That's actually pretty cool. And I agree with it. If the company has the means to do so, do it. But when he goes out and claims he puts a mortgage on his property and it turns out he didn't really do it, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying what this guy is selling. I think what he's really doing is trying to play to the politics of the town he's in. I believe he's in Seattle. 
He's got a property overlooking Puget Sound. That's up near Seattle, I'm pretty sure. I, I'm I, somewhere around there, whatever. So what's the point of really doing it? He got a bunch of PR. It probably generated a ton of sales and a ton of profits because my understanding is they've tripled their, their, uh, the, the amount of money they've processed in the past from 2015 to 2018 after he announced this, this, this thing, whatever you want to call it. They tripled their, their, the amount of money they process as a company, which means their revenues have probably gone up a great deal, which means it was a great PR stunt. Did he actually mortgage property? Apparently he didn't. So what did he really do? He, he, you go to the marketing people and you go to the heads of the company and say, listen, we've got 100 employees. We're going to double their salaries. So our budget goes from, you know, the total costs was like a million dollars in costs per year. Look, we have the actual numbers. Check it out. We can see that they were making in, uh, in this image uh, 16 million in sales. For the most part, it looked like the only real cost, the gross profit was to Dan, to the, to the CEO. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm interpreting this wrong. Pre-tax net income. What is that? 3.5 million. Anyway, the point is, let's say your budget is a million bucks. You say, let's take our marketing budget of a million bucks. Announce we're going to give all of our staffers a big raise. Yeah, it eats up that million bucks for the year. But here's what happens. We get all of the press in the world. Everybody wants to work with us. We look like heroes. We're going to make bank. That's the real game, isn't it? It's all about PR stunts. Now, I'll tell you what, it, that's, that's cool if that were the case. If all these big companies dumped a bunch of money from their marketing departments into doing good in a race to see who could do the most good to get publicity, that would be awesome. Think about how cool that would be. Instead of buying multi-million dollar commercials, it's literally just like a dude from McDonald's being like, here's what we did this month. Our marketing budget is normally 50 million bucks. We decided to build a series of houses, do X, Y, and Z, A, B, and C, beat that Burger King. And then you generate press, not with flashy multi-million dollar commercials, but by literally putting that money into cool stuff that I would be totally down for. So anyway, here's what I want to say. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm not trying to call this guy a bad person or anything. It's just business as usual. And outside of him, these people do these schemes like rich people. I'm giving my money away because they actually still control the money. Your salary can be a dollar and you can pay yourself a million dollars and say your salary is a dollar, whatever. I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up for you in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. In a segment designed to get me in trouble with feminists, a new study has come out showing that women become bad at math based on taking birth control. Okay, that's a little harsh way to say it, but let me just tell you what they literally say. Study finds women on hormonal contraceptives give up easier when they have to use their brains for maths and problem solving. Yikes. So is birth control making women not want to solve problems and want to give up? The study says so. And like what, like every woman takes birth control. So that could be a problem, I suppose. Well, let's read the story to figure out what's going on. And I'm already sure that I've gotten a bunch of thumbs down from angry feminists who are mad that this thing exists. But hey, science, hormonal contraceptives, which is the pill, could be sabotaging women's success. A study suggests women were found to give up quicker than those who are not on contraceptives when press presented with both simple and difficult problem-solving tasks. Yikes. This in turn caused them to score worse, and it could have implications for their performance at school, college, and work. The researchers at Texan Christian University said, previous research has shown a link between hormonal contraception and altered brain function in areas responsible for motivation, emotion, and attention. However, 
Experts stressed that contraception has allowed women to historically reach higher levels of success by avoiding pregnancy. I'm going to stop you right there. Uh, I know of another way to avoid pregnancy and not entertain side effects that can make you give up on math problems. This is going to be a bold one. I'm just going to say it. Have you tried not having sex? If you, my, my, I could be wrong about this. Calm down, everybody. But I, I hear the murmuring already. But my understanding is that this may be, this may be controversial. But if you don't have sex, you can't get pregnant. I'm not saying abstinence only or anything like that. I just think it's silly to think that women have to take drugs. I mean, condoms also exist, dude. If you're experiencing side effects that make you like not good at math and problem solving or at least give up, maybe there are other ways you can engage in adult relations without sacrificing your brain. PhD candidate Hannah Bradshaw and colleagues set out to explore how hormonal contraceptives affect perseverance on tasks using the brain. Studies show the ability, ability to persevere, even if a task is challenging, can predict a person's success in many areas of life. That's true. However, evidence is emerging that hormonal contraceptives may negatively affect this trait. Ms. Bradshaw said, a growing body of research suggests that hormonal contraceptive, contraception use may be associated with important structural and functional differences in brain areas important for executive function and the cognitive control of behavior. Research suggests that HC use may also have effects on women's brain structure and function. The team recruited college students from a university in southern U.S. It compared women who had either been using a hormonal contraceptive for two months or off them for at least three months. The first study asked 149 women, of which 73 were on HCs, to do a simple spot the difference task using an image from the film Frozen. Naturally cycling women who were not on HCs spent significantly more time on the task than women on HCs, 81 seconds compared with 67. Now, hold on. Did they solve the puzzle faster, maybe? Analysis showed that women on HCs performed worse because they gave up quicker. Wow. The second study consisted of 175 female undergraduates, 89 of whom were on contraception, involved more challenging tasks. First, women had to solve eight mathematical tasks with the help of a calculator. Results show naturally cycling women spent 97 seconds on the task compared with women on HCs who spent 78 seconds on it, who also performed worse. Yikes, to say the least. Next, women unscrambled jumbled letters and anagram to make words. Some were fake because they were unsolvable. In both the real and fake anagrams, women who did not take HCs spend more time trying to figure them out. Oh, interesting. The researchers, the researchers said timing how long participants took on each task relative to how well they scored was a measure of their perseverance. Concluding their findings, the author wrote, the authors wrote, these results suggest that hormonal contraceptive use may affect women's perseverance on simple and challenging tasks. The study did not attempt to uncover why HCs may alter cognitive performance, but Ms. Bradshaw and colleagues suggested some reasons based on previous research. Here, here comes the controversy. I know I'm getting it in trouble, whatever. Just yell at me on Twitter like you always do, feminists, okay? I won't listen anyway. HC users have been shown to have decreased connectivity in the brain's executive control network, responsible for paying attention organizing and planning, initiating tasks, regulating emotions, and keeping self-control. Yikes! Oh, man. Additionally, oestrogen levels, which are generally lower 
for HC users are found to play a key role in hippocampal function, also involved in emotion control as well as motivation. The author said, while additional research in humans is needed to evaluate these possible mechanisms, the current results provide compelling evidence that differences in perseverance during cognitive tasks exists bet- exist between women who take HCs and those who, that are naturally cycling, which can lead to dec- uh, decrements in performance. It is, however, important to note that HC use can also aid women in educational attainment by allowing them to prevent unintended pregnancies, which can be an insurmountable barrier for those who wish to further their education. Also, condoms. So if your brain ain't working propers, maybe don't take the pills that making your brain not work all that good, if you know what I'm saying. Since it became widely available in the 1960s, it has revolutionized the role of women in society by giving them control over when they have children. Although it has potential side effects and risks, such as weight gain and increased odds of blood clots, it is, uh, it's a very effective way of preventing uh, pregnancy. They, go, they then go on to give us this little tidbit about how it was approved. And we have this other one. So, so okay, man. All right. You know what? We're doing it. We're going all in. Uh, uh, here comes the barrage of anger. Women who take the pill three times more likely to have depression. Well, what do you want me to do about it? I didn't make up the science. Women who took the pill as teenagers may be more at risk of depression. A major study in 2019 suggested scientists from the University of British Columbia analyzed more than 1,200 women who did and did not take oral contraceptives during their adolescence. They found the women who took the birth control pills were up to three times more likely to develop depression compared to those who never took any. The most commonly prescribed pill contains both estrogen to prevent ovulation and progesterone to reduce the risk of a fertilized egg implanting in the uterus wall. Studies have suggested changing levels of these sex hormones, particularly progesterone, impacts areas of the brain that control cognitive functioning and the processing of emotions. Taking the pill as a teenager, when the brain is still developing, may influence later behavior in an irreversible way, the researchers said. I got to tell you what, man, if we know you're more likely to be depressed, alter your development and have cognitive What's the right word that's not going to get me banned from YouTube? Uh, um, Roadblocks, cognitive roadblocks. Why would you keep taking the thing? It seems to me very odd. It seems to me to be very odd that the argument is when on contraception, hormonal contraception, women can freely engage in adult activities without fear of pregnancy. I'm like, dude, I get it. Like, I don't care what you do. I'm not some ultra traditionalist who thinks you got to get married or do any of that stuff. I just think like if someone told me, here's a drug that's going to make your brain not work that good and it's going to make you depressed or it very well could and make you gain weight, I'd be like, you know what? I'll just not take it. And if that means I've got to, I don't know, buy condoms, like that's not a big deal to me. It's also, here's the thing too. You know, guys love it when their girlfriends take these pills to a certain degree, like some guys love it because then they don't got to, you know, they don't got to take care of, they don't got to wear, wear, wear a raincoat. Maybe it feels a little better, right? We're getting, we're, we're getting in the adult section. The point is, women are taking the brunt of the negative impacts of birth control, 100%. But it's being advocated, more fi- advocated for by feminists. So I'll tell you what, I don't care if you take it or you don't. I really, really don't. I don't care if it's available to everybody. It seems like an excellent development in you know technology from the 60s. A lot of women really like it. So do your thing. Me personally, I think it's kind of crazy that someone will be willing to forego the ability to do math and solve problems because they want to hook up with somebody and, <laughs> and be irresponsible, I guess. 
Maybe you should just take responsibility for your life and your actions. and You won't need drugs to replace what should be some kind of responsibility. Not everybody needs to be going around hooking up with everybody and risking getting pregnant. You don't have to hurt your, you know, increase your likelihoods of depression or anything like that. I'll, I'll end this by saying, you know, again, reiterating, I know they're all going to get mad at me and say, you know, whatever, misogynist. I don't care. Look, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you take the pill. I'm just trying to talk about my opinion. That's all. But the way I see it, there, there, there are too many young people who are being taught they don't need to be responsible, that someone else will come and take care of it for you. There will be something else to take care of it for you. But this doesn't come without consequences. If it's true that the pill alters women's brains in, in negative ways, maybe there's another way. Maybe there's better technology. Maybe there's something else we can do. Maybe we should be better parents and tell our kids that, look, not everyone is going to be completely equal. When it comes to human rights, we want you to be. But when it comes to your height, your weight, your age, all this stuff, it's just not the case that you're going to be equal. You're a boy, you're a girl. Congratulations. You will experience different lives. And that means some things will be easier and some things will be harder. Stop pretending like you don't need to be responsible for your own actions and stop relying on other people or or these these kinds of solutions to your problems because they could potentially hold you back. Now we're going to see potentially based on this, many women who are not going to be as successful, then getting angry that there aren't enough women in certain fields, and they're going to blame it on patriarchy instead of the fact that their cognitive function is being slowed to a certain degree, some of them at least, because they're taking hormones. You know what, man? Whatever. Ban me. I'm done. I'll see y'all tomorrow at 10 a.m. Thanks for hanging out.